Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. I never take it. Yes, this is our 69th episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. If you go back to when we launched this in 2015 and took a little break, well, a two-year break, and then came back last fall, and here we are, 69th episode, good times. Um, this is actually our 44th episode of the 2019-2020 season, which is funny because here it is, it's September and we still haven't finished the 2020 season, and we already have hockey cards coming out for 2020-21. This is just a really messed up time to be alive, isn't it, Tim? Um, It's definitely uh, an adventure, that's for sure. So you went on a little adventure. You went on a little excursion to your local card shop. I I did. I haven't been in there in in months and months, and uh, after some... uh, some kids' baseball games that got rained out. We decided to stop over there to kill some time between things. And uh, turns out they are still open and they are still thriving. There was uh, quite a few people in there, which was, uh, what, what, how should I say it, both uh, promising and, and enlightening and also scary. Hmm. <laughs> the fact that there were that many people there, and I don't know that I've ever seen that many people at once except during Christmas time. I did stop at my local card shop. This was back in like April and we were all still terrified of everything. And now we're not terrified. Maybe we should be. I mean, one of my students emailed me today and said, Hey professor, I tested positive for COVID. Can I have an extension on my homework? Hmm. Did you ask for the proof? You know what? As a teacher, I never ask students for proof, but this student actually sent me the report. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they tested positive. So anyway, uh, so you know how I am. I'm always like the cup half, cups half empty kind of guy. So I'm I'm thinking, well, this is the perfect excuse people are going to use now. Oh, I I didn't pay my mortgage. COVID. I didn't pay my rent. COVID. I I lost my job. COVID. I can't do my homework. COVID. My dog ate. COVID. COVID and just use it to death until people are so sick of it and don't want to hear it anymore. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure that, that, that is happening, but I mean, as far as like now, I mean, I would go to my card shop and I would like socially distance and not really touch a lot of things and, you know, wear a mask and, and, and stuff like that. But I think back in April, I was just like, dropping this, running away, and dump and run, like I said. So it's got to be pretty cool. You went to a shop, and you actually took your time and looked around, and were people staying socially distant? As much as they could. I mean, it's a smaller place, so it's it's kind of a, I don't, it's not a row-type building, but it's long, it's long and skinny, so it goes way back. Um, you know, it's a, it's a shop that I've been shopping for years. The, the guy that owns it, I've known him probably since 2000 and five Mm -hmm. maybe and um you know this is his second location he used to be over in illinois came over into over the right over the border in indiana he's got a shop in dyer indiana what's the shop called it's called more fun sports cards and more um he sells uh mostly 
It's mostly sports cards, but he's got a nice mix of of other other type things that aren't the four major sports. He's got a lot of wrestling stuff, a lot of non-sport, you know, off the wall things, Pokemon, magic, tons of comic books, memorabilia. He sells all all sorts of stuff. So yeah, that sounds but, like a shop you could get lost in for a yeah, while. Yeah, you could. I mean, especially if you if you're into comics, not necessarily like the high end stuff, but if you're into like old comics, he's got racks and racks of boxes for fifty cents each. I don't even know what's in there. There could be good stuff. There might not be. It might all be garbage. But I flipped through it before. It's there's lots of cool stuff. Stuff I recognize. But uh, you know, he he's been around for for a long time. He's been in the business a long time. And I always fear for like those small card shops because, as we all know, brick and mortar have gone the way of the dinosaur. And everybody shops online, and online and retail seems to kill the hobby shops because. Obviously, overhead number one, you know, markup on things, and people don't want to, people don't want to deal with, you know, that that extra that they have to pay, that premium for the here I can buy it on the shelf now, or I can order it for twelve bucks cheaper online and wait two weeks for it or something like that. And I get it, you know, it is the thing, but I I still like that tangible being able to go into the shop, talk to the dealer, you know talk cards, talk sports with the people that are in there and stuff like that. So that's still fun to me. My, uh, my wife and I went in there. Uh, we enjoy going in there and talking to the owner and occasionally talking to the other patrons. <laughs> uh, I say occasionally cause there's some interesting folks that go in there, but that's fine. Everybody teach their own. But Do they sell generally... new comics as well? Uh, not really new comics. No. Mm. Um, it's mostly the older stuff and he's a big collection buyer. So he buys collections and then, um, essentially flips the collections, you know, to various people that, that he's known for throughout the years that collect the different things. So if he can buy a bigger collection and then piece it out and like this guy loves 49er stuff and there's cool stuff in there, he'll sell that part to him and you know, this, that, and the other. And then generally everything that's left over gets put out on a table and he'll market for, you know, everything on this table, 200 bucks or something like that. Right, and, right. And it'll all be, it'll be really interesting and cool mix of different things between cards and bobbleheads and memorabilia and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun place to go. And uh, he's always been fair on prices and everything. And he always has just enough hockey to keep me satiated. So I, uh, we, we stopped in and picked up, uh, some newer product that we busted. So that was, that was fun. One of my, one of my fondest memories, my first job was working at a comic book and card store. It was mainly comic books, but we would carry new cards and we'd carry a lot of the Broder cards, like the, the fake cards, you know, that were, uh, that were uh, prevalent in the 90s. In fact, we used to have a big piece of cardboard, and then we would put one of each card in a penny sleeve and then tape them to the cardboard. And, like, kids would come in and they'd be like, I want to buy some Shaquille O'Neal cards. And then I would grab the piece of cardboard from behind the counter and, and lay it on the counter, and they'd be like, I want that one, that one, that one. And I think we had them numbered, like, you know, A, B, C, D, E, or whatever. And, and um... These were all Broder cards. And then they'd always say to me, well, these are going to be worth a lot of money one day. And I'd say, well, honestly, no, I don't think so, because these are 
not licensed by the NBA. I mean, we'd have some baseball ones, but mainly like the Broder cards we sold were Shaquille O'Neal cards. And by the way, the, the the reason why they're called Broder cards, I thought this was interesting, is because I was going to say you're going to have to explain that to people because most most laymen probably don't know where that comes from. Well, no, and I, I looked it up because I wanted to know also. I I don't know the guy's first name, but um, this this dude named by the last name of Broder used to take pictures at baseball games. He was uh he was a major league baseball photographer. I don't know if he worked for a team or if he I think he was a freelance photographer, if I remember correctly. And he started producing his own cards. And so then they started being called Broder cards because he was the guy who took the picture. And this was around the 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 mid to late 80s when things were still kind of in like this this moral gray area where like you had people reprinting Don Mattingly rookie cards. And then it was like, oh, but if we stamp reprint on it, then it's not breaking any laws because we're not counterfeiting, but it's still misleading and it's still taking a product. I mean, it's like, you know, if I make a fake Prada handbag, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's right. like, it's, it's not, if I make some fake Nikes, right, and sell them and I go, well, you know, they're my Nikes, you know, that I made, but uh, they look just like the real thing, you know. Well, I'm surprised much more of those. I mean, and you see all the lawsuits that pop up because they try to make them look similar to the other brands and the brand trademarks and things like that. The various Panini lawsuits, like the one against Collector's Vault, um, that may or may not have gone away. I'm not sure. I haven't heard the latest on that. But, uh, you know, everybody tries to counterfeit. I mean, you've had you've had your, you know, d- custom design cards stolen and people created cards out of them and stuff like that. So, I mean... This kind of thing happens all the time, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's really it. Back then, you see these fake cards, you'd be like, you'd ask the dealer, like, "Who made this? Tops? Is this Upper Deck? What is this?" And they're like, "Oh, it's a promo, right? Yeah, it's a promo card. It's a promo card." And you'd be like, "Oh, a promo card? That's really cool. I'm gonna get that." It's no, it's not a promo someday. card. Yeah. You're this. You have a giant. You're this. You're the stick with the big sucker on your head. Because there's absolutely no worth in these. There might be to you. Of course, it gives a little more variety, especially if you're a player collector to say, like, I have this. I remember my most favorite one I ever had um, back when I used to collect Jose Canseco cards is I had the Jose Canseco on one side and Madonna on the other side. And it said truth or dare across the top. And then there was a little comic strip that somebody drew on the back about the whole affair that Jose and Madonna supposedly had. So, mm. yeah. And of course I had the 86 Don Russ, Michael Jordan one too, at one point, which was probably one of the more popular, I guess, ones. So the one that said rated rookie on it. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of funny. Back in the day, I would buy those fake hockey cards because they were interesting to me. I knew they weren't going to be worth anything. Uh, I mean, I have I have some that, you know, it was funny because like the front designs were actually nicer than most tops cards at the time. But the back designs were, were terrible, like like blue card stock with like black ink on them. And they weren't really good. But the fronts were usually very colorful and had like bright borders. I mean, I had an Eddie Belfour uh, that had a a gold border on it, like gold foil border on the front. I mean, it was a nice sure. looking fake card and then i had one that was really crummy looking that makes me cringe it said new kids on the ice and it had like 
pictures of Lindros, Fedorov, and uh, Eric Lindros, Sergei Fedorov, and Ed Belfort, and said New Kids on the Ice, and it was written in, like, this Venetian blind font. If you think of, like, those sunglasses that were, like, the blind sunglasses, it was kind of, like, written in that font. It was terrible. But... Yeah. I have a whole box of um, set, I guess they would be called sets. They're, like, five or six cards. The ones that were, like, orange-bordered. Yeah. Um... And they said star on the Almost back. like a tiger stripe kind of orange or like orange with like splatter paint. I don't remember. Oh, okay. Exactly I don't what know that like. one. But there, I think there was like Gretzky, Iserman, Lemieux, maybe Brett Hall. And I don't know. So there had to be somebody else in there too. But we'll have to make a, we'll have to do a show about this promos about and promos and broders. Yeah. You know, there is one. Let's see if you can guess this. I bet you can. There is actually one phony fake card from that era that actually does have some resale value today that's over a dollar. One phony fake card from which era? From the 80s or 90s? or? We'll just say like the early 90s. Hockey card. One famous hockey card that was unlicensed from yeah. that time frame. <clears throat> hmm. I don't know. I the the '78 Gretzky card keeps popping in my head. The one where where he's on the racers, but that wasn't from the '90s. That was no, old. but that's it. That's Is that one. it? Yeah, it was oh, made in okay. the '90s. Okay. I mean, obviously, it wasn't made in '78. No, I thought it was made earlier than that, though. Like yeah, earlier has, than the '90s. I thought it came out before. It could that. have been '89. It was could it? have been '90. Okay. I don't. I don't. Oh, I guessed it. I didn't even know. I guessed it. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny. You were like, well, it can't be this one because it's too obvious. So it has to be something more esoteric. No, no, no. It's it's that one. It's it's yeah, I mean it 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 has a black and white photo of Gretzky that had been colorized. Yeah, it was red, right? The borders are red. And it has his his like WHA stats from like 78, 79 on the back. And it's just it's it's Today, it's the kind of card that I'll see at a show, and you might have one dealer who has it in a quarter box. You might have another dealer who has it in a dollar box. You might have another dealer who has it in a case for $10. I'm not saying it sells for $10, but I'm just saying it's kind of like the card is famous enough that it's not a quarter card. Like all these other cards that I find of like Men on Rayum and even of like Mario Lemieux and Steve Eiserman and even Wayne Gretzky and Brett Hull, I find those in quarter boxes because they're just, you know, those cards were a dime a dozen back then. I mean, they cost a dollar each, but um, something like that Gretzky Racers card is, is, maybe it's infamous enough that it has a little bit of an appeal to it. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know that I ever had that card because I'm trying to think. Did it have a copyright on it? Like, did somebody make it? I'm sure somebody made it. Yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll link to it in the comments. Um, when I launched this site back in 2007, I launched with three articles at the same time, and one of them was the Gretzky Racers card. Like, I didn't want to just start a website that had just one article. Because that just, you know, how many times have we gone to a blog that's had one article? And then you go, oh, cool blog. And then you go, 2016, and this is the only article they wrote. Well, they didn't really get far, right? So when I launched Puck Junk, I launched with 
three articles so that if somebody came to the site, there would at least be three articles there already, if, nice. if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and that was one of the um, that was one of the articles because I just thought this is such a cool fake card. Um, so yeah. uh, why don't we talk about some real cards and some stickers? Because I want to talk a little bit. I know I've been talking your ear off about the the tops, uh, the tops now stickers. I'm convinced that by the Stanley Cup Finals. I'm going to be the only guy buying them because it is becoming such a drag. Like I I forgot to buy the stickers one day, but now they they actually they put them online. Tops puts these Tops now stickers online for 27 hours instead of 24 hours. So a little bit longer cuz like I remember like waking up and I'm just like did I buy the top stickers yesterday? And I couldn't remember. And I looked and then I went out and it was like in the morning and there were like still four hours left to buy it. So no, they put them up for like 28 hours or something instead of just 24 hours. Exactly. It's 28 hours. And they don't so always if you couldn't email- take a day to decide you didn't want them. They gave you a couple extra hours to change your mind. <laughs> well, I don't know. But I think the other thing is, is that they, they have, haven't been doing because there's only been about 160 of us buying these stickers and there's oh, some it's people, down to that it's down to that but actually i wanted to say the lowest print run was stickers 140 through 144 had a print run of 138 now i know there are some wow. people buying multiple packs i'm buying one pack i did the math the sticker book is going to run out of spots so now i don't even know what to do because first i'm like well i want to complete my sticker book so i was going to buy these stickers and then i'm like well this is going to exceed the 220 spots or whatever that are left in the book. So now I might just put them in card pages because the sticker album, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's so, but it's just kind of weird. But so what I wanted to say was for weeks one through 23, there were 207 stickers put out plus the three all-star stickers and then plus six retro chase stickers. Oh, uh, wait, six or five. I think five. It was every three weeks, three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, 21. Oh, maybe seven, 25, seven or I don't know. It was every three weeks, I think. So maybe it was seven or eight. But anyways, so there were like 207 stickers plus three plus the retro chase stickers. So far in the playoffs, there's been 164 stickers. And we're we're just in the conference finals and the lowest print run for, uh, well, before the pause, week 23, there were 609 stickers sold or set packs sold. And now, uh, stickers 140 through 144 during the playoffs, the print run was 138. So, I mean, and it's averaging about 150. So, I mean, whatever print run tops had before. For the pandemic now they're at 25 percent of that so now that i almost feel like they don't care because i don't even get emails about these i get like five emails a day about project 2020 and about star wars living set but they're not targeting me and saying hey new hockey stickers buy them now right i have to think about it or i go oh a new tops 2020 card that reminds me i need to buy my hockey stickers today and fortunately because they put them up for 28 hours I was able to buy one pack and then the new pack at the same time. Not that it matters when I pay for them, but you know, yeah. talk about I, your all time fails when you, you can't even target the target audience. 
And when I say V, I mean with all capital letters, T-H-E, the target audience. Right. I mean, send a separate email. You can segment emails by by what people buy or what. I want to say when I signed up for their newsletter, I had to check what I was interested in. And I checked hockey and Star Wars because those are the two things I really like. And even though I haven't bought a Star Wars card since Phantom Menace, maybe. You know, every time I'm at Target and I pick up a box of Star Wars cards and I go, ooh, these look cool. And then it's like, contains four cards per pack, eight cards per box. And it's $20. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is going to take a lot of money to complete. No, thank you. And then I put it back. Yeah, it's cool, but not that cool. Well, I mean, part of the problem is is that they with the Star Wars cards, I just, like, they put just enough of the old school characters into a set that I think about it. But then when I look at it, it's just, it's like, you know, countdown to episode nine featuring 1977 designs with new characters. And it's just like, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm literally torn because the nostalgia in me goes, yeah, I like those old star Wars designs, but then I go, eh, but do I really want a card of, that bounty hunter whose name I can't remember who is in the movie for five minutes. Right. Like, yeah, you saw him standing in the background in the shadows. You weren't real sure if he was a person or just a statue. So, um, so anyway, so that's, that's what's up with tops now stickers. And I'm convinced that like when I go to their archive in like two months for the very last one, it's going to say print run Sal. Sal so bought what one pack and that was it, right? Because I'm I'm like it's like a Ponzi scheme, right? Like <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm gonna be the guy, the last guy. Like they're gonna just make the they're gonna make they're gonna make a sticker pack and it's gonna cost ten dollars a sticker and it's gonna have eight stickers and I'm gonna be like, well, I don't know. This might be the last eight stickers I need to complete the set and then next the next day they'll put out here are the award winners and then the next day they'll put out here are the draft picks and i'm like wait no fair we're in the new season now so if you're the only one that buys them and they're print on demand does that make them true one of ones yeah i guess so i don't know although they could print 10 of them and tell anybody yeah there'd be no way to verify whether or not that was the actual print run or what they just decided to tell people what's even more interesting though is that some of these bigger sticker packs have like 10 stickers. Every third pack has a gold sticker, but that gold sticker is not the same from pack to pack. So if it's a five sticker pack and I buy three packs and you buy three packs, you might get a gold sticker and I might get a gold sticker, but they might be different. So if you think about it, those gold versions of the stickers are going to be very rare, but then again, they're stickers and nobody really cares. Oh, there's that. You know, because if the print run is 150 and then you you cut that into three, so 50 of those packs had gold stickers, but then there are five stickers per pack, then that means that maybe 10 of each of those special packs with the extra sticker might have had Johnny Goudreau and 10 might have had Patrick Kane and 10 might have had, you know, Robin Leonard, you you know what I mean? Or whoever was included in that pack. Like I got a gold sticker and it was Calgary Flames, and I'm just like, and it was like them celebrating, and it wasn't even a great shot. And I'm like, damn, if it was Crosby or 
Ovechkin or, you know, uh, Quinn Hughes, I could flip this. But Calgary Flames, yeah, I'll, I'll put it up and see if I get anything for it. But it doesn't, it's not going to exactly jump out of uh, my hands to a willing buyer. Yeah. I can tell you right now, the last sticker I bought was the registration one for my car. So, mm. was that more or less than what uh, what these top stickers are costing me? Oh, it's getting pretty close. Yeah, so uh, it's considerably more. But so, um, Upper Deck is continuing their game dated moments again with the never ending season. So, card number one hundred four and card number one hundred five. Um, so, card number one hundred four. Uh, it was about Yoel Kiviranta completing uh, a complete hat trick with game seven overtime goal. And I, I think when we actually, when you and I busted those boxes of ice, I got a Yoel Kiviranta rookie card, but I called him Joel because I didn't know any better because I had never heard of the guy because I hadn't been following the stars. And it was funny because, you know, after we did our box break and our video episode, I uh, I was like, oh, I still have these on my desk. I should probably put these in penny sleeves. And then, sure enough, you know, I'm like, hey, look at that! I got a Kiwi Ranta rookie card. So, yay! That, that was the Ice Premier one. Yep. Was that the auto one or no? No, no. The auto I got was Quinn Hughes, which was you know a stroke gotcha. of good luck. I mean, between you know, like the three good cards I got from this year, I got a Quinn Hughes auto rookie card. I got the Jack Hughes MVP redemption card, and I got a a, a Shesterkin uh, UD canvas young gun. So <laughs> I got some. I got three pretty good cards this year. So I can't say I don't get anything. But uh, you know, um, what what I was going to say. So anyway, so uh, game dated I was moments. Say my the the one I the one cool one that I pulled was that uh, that Suzuki exclusive. That Nick Suzuki exclusive. Oh, but, that was dinged. Yeah, that had the ding on it. But I will, I'm happy to tell you that it is, it's the last I've heard is on his way to Montreal, Quebec. At oh, this that's juncture. So that's good. Into the hands of someone that will appreciate its glory more than I. <laughs> so, no, that's good. It's good that it went to a, a, a fan, a collector. Yeah. I don't know if it's made it there yet. That Canada shipping is nuts the price or the time both i mean just sending like one card in a bubble mailer just a small bubble mailer is almost 12 bucks yeah it is nuts it's it it's takes forever yeah so. it, it, it and i see here's the thing i don't understand is that once it leaves our border it's canada's problem so i don't know why I don't, they're not giving Canada that money. I don't, un, I don't quite understand how the post office works, but if I send something to Canada and I pay, let's say I pay $20 to ship it to Canada, I don't think the U.S. post office gives half of that to Canada and go, okay, well, here's the package and here's the other half of the delivery fee. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because I know that, like, one problem right now that the U.S. Post Office is having is, well, one particular problem is that people, when they buy stuff from China, once it gets here, 
China doesn't deliver it to your door. Once it makes it to the U.S., then the U.S. post office has to deliver it. So China, they'll sell you a cheap thing, and then they'll give you free shipping or cheap shipping, and they just have to get it to the U.S. And then after that, it's the U.S.'s problem. So the U.S. has all these packages to deliver from China, and you're thinking, well, what are people buying from China? Well, you can buy knockoffs of things that um, are produced in Chinese factories. You know, maybe it's a jacket and they don't put the Nike logo on it. The factory is going to, you know, crank out, you know, 100,000 or 500,000 of these jackets, right? And they're going to put the logos on them. But maybe you want that jacket, but you don't really care if it has a North Face logo on it or a, or a Nike logo on it. So then you buy it on eBay and you pay $30 for it instead of $200. And it says $30 free shipping. And you go, whoa, that's a deal. It's a, it's a North Face jacket, but it it's, doesn't have the logo, but I don't care. It's the same thing, right? And so then China gets it to the U.S. and then it's the U.S.'s problem to deliver. So it's kind of like a double whammy. You're, the U.S. store is not selling the pro product. They're not making the sale. And the U.S. post office has to deliver that import. So just something to think about. Well, I can tell you with this particular item, it was sent on September 3rd. And it sat in the International Distribution Center in Chicago for six days before it was actually processed through a Canadian facility. Yeah. They and actually it has now sat for what's today's date? 13th right now. It's now sat for another 3 days waiting to clear customs. So So I will tell you this just uh, and this this is actually good information for anybody who's trading um you've probably heard this happening in other cities and it definitely happened in Chicago. They took out the mail sorting machines. They have automated mail sorting machines. The two biggest post offices, uh, there's a hub at O'Hare airport and there's a hub in downtown Chicago. And they took out the mail sorting machines in those two post offices. So they and, have to be done by hand now. Yeah. So everything has to be done by hand now. And, um, this is, this is actually a political ploy by the current president who wants to try to make mail-in voting difficult for people. So they've he, he put in this postmaster general, and he's been, uh, not only has he been removing sorting machines from post offices, but they've also been removing mailboxes from the street. I don't even know what to say to that. Well, so now you know why your package sat in the U.S. sorting or the uh, Chicago sorting facility for six days. Well, I mean, it's, like I said, it's still sitting and waiting to clear customs, I guess. So, well, I mean, it could be, I mean, that could be any number of things. So, um, I mean, if it's on Canada, I, I can't comment on that. But in the U.S., yeah. yeah, I've been I've been following this pretty closely. Um, I mean, in fact, I haven't been there have been times where I don't get mail for four days and then I get a stack of mail in one day. Yeah. And then there's well, days where allegedly an eBay thing is delivered and then yeah, check my mailbox and it's not there. And then four days later it's in my mailbox. Yeah, that's weird. 
It's weird. Well, so there's wanna, oh, two different ahead. things. Two different things I sent out. So to to those that I sent those to, I hope they get there soon. If you're listening. <laughs> so the upper deck game dated moments. Getting back to our before we went off on a tangent. Um, card number one hundred four. Yoel Kiviranta completes hat trick with game seven OT goal against Colorado. Card 105, uh, Thatcher Demko sets rookie record for most saves in a shutout during postseason play. So those are the game-dated moments. Uh, those are $399 with the purchase of any Upper Deck E-Pack. If you want to cut costs, you know, buy a pack of Synergy or something for $0.99, cents and then you can get these cards. Or, you know, I guess you could buy a, a better pack, like an Upper Deck Series 1 pack. Or you could, if you're interested in uh, new product... I think um, at least MVP's on there, isn't it? Yeah. Or have they we'll, not released it yet? Uh, I don't know. I know okay. we're going to talk about MVP in a future episode. I just got to get my hands on a box. We're going to talk yeah. about OPG in a future episode. But uh, 2021 OPG came out last week. And so here's the skinny on it. Uh, 500 base cards. No surprises there. 100 short printed cards. Again, no surprises there. A um, little disappointed in the short prints. 30 rookies, 20 legends, 31 checklists, 9 league, league leaders, 9 season highlights, and 1 short print checklist. And then there's a bunch of inserts and retro parallels and stuff like that. And we'll, we'll talk more about that when I get my hands on, on some Opeechee as well. We'll make that the focus of an episode because that's always fun to talk about the new stuff at length. But, um, yeah, anything you want to say about... Uh, about OPG, uh, there's there there's some stuff, but I'll save it for save for, it for the save it for a rainy day. I think I kind of want more than um, I think I want more than thirty rookie cards in an OPG set. I mean, I can kind of understand why, but I mean, at the same time, I think it's kind of I think my biggest problem is that um, is that it's a set that came out. For the next season, but this season still isn't over. Right. And, you know, your limitations for these card releases is generally those early ones like MVP and OPG are filled with the, um, as they call them, the holdover rookies, or as you've coined the term, the leftovers. The leftover um, rookies. Yeah, and so they're all the guys that premiered, you know, after the All Star break or during the playoffs and that kind of thing that didn't didn't end up in any product that had been released up to that point for that previous year. So, you know, that's your first shot at getting in some of these guys that have made started to make a name for themselves on playoff teams that are still around. Um, but again. They aren't necessarily the the heavy hitters, right? I mean, there's no Alexis Lafreniere in any of them. Well, no, and he's so. I mean, he may be part of the draft uh, redemptions in in MVP at some point, but as right. of right now, you know, we don't know what those are, and we never know until later. When artifacts comes out, it's the same thing. You know, you don't know who the redemptions are till later. They'll be your high pick draft picks, the guys that are you know targeted, but until they play in an NHL game, you know what are you going to do? Can't do anything. Can't make a card for them. So 
wonder so, if there'll be COVID rules and they'll adapt that and say, well, since it was COVID, we'll fix this and we'll do this. Maybe, um, maybe not. I doubt it. No, I mean, the players got to play in a game in order to be a part of the players association because the players get a cut of that money. So the problem was, is you had draft picks getting paid more money than what an individual player's cut might be. You know, if you're, if you're fourth line center on a team and a draft or third line center on a team and they go, okay, here's the, you know, here's the $7,000 royalty check from being on hockey cards. You're like, cool. But then you find out that, Hey, that guy who got drafted second overall, he got $10,000 to appear on a card because he's not part of the players association yet. You're going to be like, well, that's bogus. So that's why the NHLPA has these rules about who can be on an, on, on a card. Sure, but here, here, here's my scenario, and I don't know if Upper Deck's already addressed this or not, but maybe they have, maybe they haven't, um, or maybe they'd like to. My question is, we don't have a plan yet for the upcoming season. It's in the works, but nothing's set in stone. And the rumors are that we're going to delay, and the season may start after American Thanksgiving. Okay. Yeah, I heard that it was going to start December. Okay, so if that's the case, traditionally Upper Deck Series 1, which is well known for the young guns and that's what people chase, and this year is going to be 10 times worse than other years because if there's anybody that's worth anything in that first series, good luck prying those from the investor hands, right? But that's another story. Upper Deck releases a 50 you know, 50 card young guns in series one and a 50 card young guns in series two to have a hundred total rookies. If the season hasn't started yet to premiere some of these draft picks that are NHL ready already and throw them in there, what's going to be put in there when the, when the release comes out or do they delay production for series one until maybe January when they can get all the photos together and everything else over that, you know, first month of the season, quickly produce the product and go from there because the design's already done. They already know what they're going to do. They probably have all the photos already chosen for everybody that's not a rookie and they just need to do what they are going to do for, you know, the rookie cards. Do they delay? Do they put it out in time and then just say, well, uh, we're just going to make these be the leftovers too. What do they do? Well, Upper Deck has traditionally, I, I mean, I'll, I'll take a prediction at this. Yes, I think they're going to push back their, uh, <clears throat> they're going to push back the date of Upper Deck Series 1. And actually, we should get somebody from Upper Deck on the show again to talk about that. And, the, you know, because they've always told us what they could tell us. Um, but what I would imagine they would do is they'd push back the delay to when there's hockey season because you don't release a product. I mean, now they're releasing stuff and hockey's going on, but yeah, you want to maybe wait until the start of the season. The other thing though, is that, okay, so if OPG has 30 marquee rookies, that means there's 30 leftover rookies. So that's 30. And then you look at like the guys who have made their debut in the playoffs, like, um, like, uh, is it uh, Dan uh, Vladar, the, uh, the Bruins goalie? Mm-hmm. who was the backup to um, to Yaroslav uh, uh, Halak when uh, uh, Tuka Rask left the bubble. Halak became the number one, and then 
and uh, Vladar became the the number two goalie for the Bruins, and he played a game. Although with the goalie, you just have to be on the bench. And I'll say this: there's been enough rookie goaltenders in this in this uh, in these playoffs. Not even the guys who've played a, a few minutes, just just on the bench. You know where you have like the number one goalie is injured and the number two goalie is now the number one. And then the number three goalie is so-and-so who's never been in the an NHL game before, but they're on the bench. So that's close enough for a goalie as far as the rookie card rules. So, I mean, they could probably fill those last 10 or excuse me, 20 cards with goalies and skaters who made their debut during the bubble. Okay. So let's say they do keep everything on schedule. Series one comes out and it's filled with the 30 leftovers and then 20, backup goaltenders and black aces or yeah you know whatnot yeah of guys that you know played two a two minute shift and that was it and you're just like looking through all these going what what is this and then all of a sudden series one falls flat everybody's waiting for series two mm. so now series two is going to be totally backloaded with all of those draft pick guys that finally get their shot. I mean, will will 2021 series one upper deck become the forgotten set? Kind of like those 2012, 13 sets. Remember because they couldn't because the half season half season and they couldn't yeah. put in anybody. Sure. They could. So, I mean, all of a sudden, uh, Chris Creeder became like the hot rookie card to have. <laughs> People are losing their shit over his card because oh, that's the that's the one, and now I don't think it's that expensive of a card to get. Well, but Kreider didn't. Kreider. Kreider. Kreider didn't become the mega superstar that everybody thought or wanted him to be. I mean, he's a solid player. He's still in the NHL. He hasn't disappeared yet, but he also his name also comes up with many many Rangers fans as we need to get rid of this guy and. Do something so but right 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 so you know i mean that set that set has a lot of that's that year had a lot of problems because um because the nhl was handcuffed or excuse me the upper deck and panini were handcuffed with what they could do and then sure. the next year they had that double rookie class dual rookie class uh, depending on you know uh, panini called it the dual rookie class and upper deck called it the double rookie class and yeah it it wasn't exciting as the 0506 double rookie class, but it was still kind of an interesting idea. Like, hey, here's a ton of rookies that that debuted in 2013, but we couldn't feature in sets until the fall of 2013. Um, well, it's an interesting question, and I know I'm not the only one that has it. So if if there's a way we can get somebody on to to address it, that'd be cool. But because I can't I can't think of anything that I've read or looked at that where this has actually been brought up. Well, look, all they really need to do, they can, so um, Lafreniere gets drafted. There's going to be draft day photos of him. They can use a draft day photo. They don't have to use a rookie photo shoot. Like, those guys who get drafted, if they make their NHL debut, see, that's the problem, the NHL debut. Right. They have no, you know, they're not on a team, they're not on a roster. I mean, what do you do? You can't technically put them on one until the new season starts. Maybe the NHL and the NHLPA relax their rules a little bit, like you said. Oh, the and COVID. that's what I said. They'll come up with a COVID rule and make one exception so that the product can hit the market. 
And, you know, for me being a teacher, I was really slow on the uptake on, on that. It took, I had to draw that conclusion myself. Yeah, so, <laughs> but, well, uh, who knows? Yeah. We'll so, yeah, that, that we'll, should. We'll make, we'll, we'll put a, uh, what do you say? We'll put a pin in that one and come back to that at another point. Have I ever said that? I don't know. Somebody says it. I think I, I, I know. I didn't make it up. I know I've heard it before. I've heard that one too. Yeah. And I remember so in corporate in speak, one. corporate speak, they'd always say, well, we'll table this for a later meeting. Yeah. Let's table this for now. No, let's just figure it out right now. Let's not put this off until next week. Let's just figure this out right now. No, I don't want to table this. You know, right. let's well, just, but yeah, obviously. Hmm, go through your Rolodex and get people on the horn right now. Yeah. All right. So um, what we wanted to talk about for our big topic is uh, we're kicking around like, uh, hey, what what set should we talk about? We like to talk about a retro set. And, you know, so I start looking. It was funny. I'm like, well, I'm like, what what don't we talk about? Because it's so easy to talk about 90s stuff and 80s stuff and 70s. You know, like, obviously, the, the more you have of certain years, it's easy for me to talk about 90s stuff because I have so much stuff from the 90s. And I have almost every set made from the 70s and 80s. And it was even funny because, like, I was thinking to myself, you know, we should talk about the 85, 86 Tops and Opeachy sets. And then I realized we did that podcast a while ago. We did. <laughs> we did. And it was good. But um, then I was thinking, well, you know, I'm a little sparse on sets between 98 and 2002, but really 98 to 2005. Those were the years I re- like wasn't collecting. 1998 to 2002 or I'll say 97. I missed that whole Pacific era. So 97 to 2002, I was in college. I was not buying hockey cards. And then 2002, I was buying hockey cards, but I was buying a lot of old sets. I wasn't buying new product. It wasn't until 2005 when I really started buying, actually with the Parkers, 0506 Parkers. That was when I got back into buying hockey cards, like packs of cards. So I'm like thinking, okay. So you completely missed Pacific's run at, at stardom dude i missed i will go to a card show and i will go through a quarter box and i will see so many pacific cards that i've never seen in my life i'll be like was this a card and i'll hold it up and i'll look at the back and it'll say really small in that circular text 2001 pacific pacific atomic omega fuego whatever like because they had like a million sets and I will just be like, well, uh, okay, that's another card I've never seen before. Because, like I said, I was just not well, a you miss Well, you miss some pretty good ones, and you miss also some really bad ones. In fact, that show we did a long time ago where we talked about really goofy hockey set names and stuff. Yeah. And many, many of those were Pacific. <laughs> well, um, what, what I regret missing, I, I regret missing the whole Topps Chrome Hockey thing. Those look nice. Chrome Those cool. look really nice. Chrome I, was cool, and the Heritage sets that came out then were cool, too. I have some of the Heritage sets, and I have um, some of the Upper Deck Vintage sets. And I might have actually bought those, because I'm not sure when I bought those. But I remember hunting down the Upper Deck Vintage, and um, I... Uh, but but anyway, uh, just getting back to my, my original point, like, so... I don't know a lot about those sets. So I was just like, well, let's, you know, hey, can we think of a set that we both 
know about because you'll say Pacific Atomic 2003 and I'll just be like, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> I don't have one card from that set, so whatever you want to say. But um, great to the game. Fleer, great to the game. 2001, 2002, Fleer, great to the game. We actually yes. both own this set. We do. And we I both obtained it in two different ways as well. Well, I bought I bought a complete set, and I don't even remember how much, where, when, or how much. It was probably it was probably late. It was probably like two thousand. We'll say like somewhere between two thousand ten and two thousand fifteen, and it was probably at a Rosemont show. Remember Big John, the really yeah. big guy that used to sell hockey cards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would just have so much stuff and he'd see me and he'd be like oh i bought a collection and he would just pull out a box and i'd be like oh need this need this need this need this need this so that's that might be how i got this set i don't think i paid much for it um so just to give you a quick little rundown for those of you who've not seen this set or collected it 2001 2002 fleer greats of the game it came out in october of 2001 the suggested retail price was $5.99 for a five-card pack. There were hobby boxes that had 24 five-card packs, and you got about two autographs per box. And then there were, apparently there were retail boxes um, that had 20 packs per box, and autographs fell at about one in every 14 packs, so maybe one or two autographs per box. There were 89 base cards there was one checklist that's not numbered, but I throw it in as part of the set for the 90th card because 90 fits nine, you know, fits 10, nine pocket pages easily. And then there were a bunch of um, inserts and uh, the set. I mean, there's pictures in, in this that you could look at. I'll have some scans in the comments, but it's basically the player cut out, put against white. Um, it's got like a, a, a white and blue border. It kind of has like a retro feel to it. That it's it's kind of low tech, but it's also high quality, right? So it, it doesn't like hit you over the head with like gold foil. It's not like a or it's not like a Fleer Metal Universe card. It's but it it it's good quality. I mean, they're like they have like a really they have like a matte coat on them. Um, Although it does have foil with the with the logo. It's got the foil logo, and then on the back it just has like very plain, easy to read statistics. And a write-up and their height and weight and stuff like that. So it's kind of a set that, like, if you didn't have the foil on it and you didn't have, like, the spot varnish on the borders. Because if you notice, like, the borders are shiny. But, like, the the border that goes around the picture and the, the, the team logo at the bottom are shiny. But the player is like matte. So actually, if you get a card like this signed, and I know I got the, not this one, but I, I do have a signed copy of the Michelle Goulet card that I got signed by him in person. Um, it, it has a very nice matte coat for autographs. So uh, were the autographed yes. versions of the cards signed like on the picture or were they signed at the bottom where they it says race of the game? They are signed on the bottom in the small little strip area where the team logo is mm -hmm. um, on the base cards. And um, they are all on card. There's no stickers. Um, yeah, I mean, the player obviously touched the card and signed the card. Uh, they, the 
they're a little different than the base cards where the base cards have the blue border around them. The mm-hmm. autograph cards have a gold border. Um, same design, but it's a gold border that goes around and then they don't have, it doesn't say greats of the game across the bottom in the script mm-hmm. or, or have the team logo. Instead, Good. that's where they sign it. Well, yeah, you'd want to have a blank spot because yeah. this, this logo has a spot varnish on it. So what that means is if you hold it in the light, the logo and the border around, not the whole border, just the frame around the player's picture and the team logo directly below the player's picture, those are shiny. Those are glossy. But then everything else has a matte finish to it. Um, and yeah, you wouldn't want to have gloss where the player would sign or, or any text. So that's, um, you know, that's, uh, that, that's a good thing. Obviously those, those sound really nice. Um, from a design standpoint, it, it works, works perfect. It's simple. I mean, it's a simple, I, I wish more sets like this would come out where it's just not, it, it's not like I hit you over the head over-the-top design. And I like those, too, because I still love me some Fleer Metal Universe. I, I want I want those to come back, like, for real. Like, the real deal. Not just not just metal foil, but, like, exploding planets and stuff. Flying but eyeballs. Flying eyeballs and, and giant plants and, and, and cybernetic attachments. Um, well, I'll tell you what. With, with these, I like the photos that they chose for the players. Um... You know, a lot a lot of them are um, like action type shots, but like you said, they're they're cropped out, so they they Photoshop out the player, and they put them over a, a a shadow over a white background, so it just focuses on that player. So instead of looking at a card where you might see a bunch of dasher board and advertisement and crowds and other players and everything, this is focused on that particular player, and that's all you got. Because they are the greats of the game. They're not focusing on anybody else, just who the subject of that card is. So um, a couple things I want to point out. Yeah, and I, I love the design, and I love the easy-to-read stats, and I like the fact that they have their full statistics. I was going to say, yeah, you should love the the fact that if you flip over Gordy Howe's card, it has you know, stats in four different decades. So uh, And Mario was still active, so... It doesn't have his, it just has his stats up to, you know, 2001. Um, yeah, Gordy has only his NHL stats. Yeah, it says he didn't play in the NHL because I think it's an NHL licensed product and they don't have the ability to put WHA stuff in there. Uh, no, I think that's, I think that's by, I think that's by the NHL's decree. Is it? Well, yeah, because the NHL doesn't recognize any records of the WHA. It doesn't recognize any points accrued in the WHA. It doesn't, um, like, you know, the only holdout really was Tops. Tops, for the longest time, would have WHA stats on the back of the cards. I mean, I'm thinking of Mark Messier's cards, and they'd have his WHA stats and his NHL stats and Gretzky's Mike Gartner and Rob Ramage and all those baby bulls that played for the Birmingham Bulls when they just said, screw it, we're going to sign every 17-year-old we can so so that they don't go to the NHL. So then they end up with a team of like Rob Ramage and Craig Hartsburg and, and um, you know, all these guys that went on the long NHL careers, but they, they got their start 
um, in the uh, in the WHA, even Michelle Goulet. Um, and so uh, you would see WHA, WHA stats on tops cards. You would, and even on 7980, they would combine them. They would just say career totals because they had one line of, they had the previous line of stats and then they had their career totals because it had that, that, that different design with the skate on the back, the 7980, the Gretzky rookie year um, set. But um, yeah, so I, I think that's an NHL decree. I gotcha. You know, that makes because, sense. Because I mean, you had guys put up like serious numbers in the WHA, but they don't count those statistics. I mean, if you think of like Anders Hedberg and Ulf Nilsson, uh, that played with Bobby Hull in Winnipeg, the hotline in Winnipeg, they call it the hotline. And those guys put up some amazing numbers together. Vaclav Nedomansky was a star in the WHA, but he got it into the NHL, or excuse me, the Hockey Hall of Fame through merits of his international play, not really based on his NHL play, because by then he was he was older. He was like mid to late 30s by then. But do you see what I mean? So, yeah, yeah w- WHA's like ignored by the NHL. It's unfortunate, but, you know, it still doesn't make this any less of a cool set. Well, you know what is unfortunate about this set? It's called Greats of the Game. But there's one great card that should be in, one great player that should be in a set, in the set. Ron Hextall. Oh, he's pretty cool, but no. Uh, John Shabbat. We're talking about John Shabbat with the Penguins or with the Red Wings? Either one. Yeah, no. I don't know why uh, you mentioned that guy. Because uh, he was a Penguin at one point. I know, because I have like 10 of his 87, 88 tops cards. And I used to remember when he would score a goal and how the announcer would say his name. How would he say it? It's a, it was like, John Shabbat. Oh, like the, the, the arena announcer. Yeah, the arena Not announcer. Mike Lang. At the, at the games. No, 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 no. The actual in-house announcer at the Civic Arena back in the day. So... So anyways, um, Wayne Gretzky... No, obviously it's, great, it's Gretzky that's not in here because, well, I mean... Well, at the time... Wasn't an upper deck set, right? Well, f- yeah. So Fleer was yes. its own company then. And Upper Deck had, I'm assuming they had the exclusive on Gretzky. Because if you remember, Gretzky appeared in a lot of products, even though he wasn't an active player. I mean, I remember him being in the 0607 hockey set on like the checklists. Like the 0607, he's in like the Upper Deck. Uh, series one, series two on like the checklists, if I remember correctly, which is funny because he retired in 99. And then he's like on all those boxes of like the 99, 2000 cards. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Could, because I mean, upper deck could pretty much do whatever they wanted with the likeness once they got the, once they got people signed under that agreement. So, right. Which, so- which, isn't that one of the reasons why half the products uh, that have Gordie Howe on them during that time frame say Mr. Hockey instead of Gordie Howe? I think that's a Gore. I think that's by Gordie Howe's request. Is it? Okay. Because he and his wife owned that. They copyrighted that Mr. Hockey. Okay. So maybe they're just trying to build. Well, sometimes brand. you see it as that and other times you see Gordie Howe. So that's why I didn't know if that was something that upper deck had to do with or not, but, but anyway, yeah. So this wasn't an upper deck product yet. It was still Fleer. So still Fleer, 
So um, a couple things about this set that stand out to me. Uh, one is that it has a mix of black and white and color photos. I do wish they were all color, um, especially because I know that all of these players have at least one color photo. They didn't really pull back like a George Vezina or somebody from like the teens or 1920s that wouldn't have a color photo. I mean, I know we've seen color photos of Johnny Bauer, and yet he's in black and white, and we've seen color photos of um, Terry Sawchuck and uh, Bernie Jeffreyon, and yet, you know, uh, Harry Howell. I mean, all of these guys that I'm mentioning have black and white photos. I would have liked color photos for all of the cards, for all of the pictures. I still like the black and white. I, I don't know. And then the other thing that, that kind of strikes me as a little bit strange is that some of the some of the photos that they selected, like I mentioned Michel Goulet, and he's pictured as a Blackhawk, and it's a nice card. But, I mean, really, Michel Goulet, he was, I mean, he was one of the greatest Quebec Nordiques of all time, and I was happy that he played for the Blackhawks. But I think, like, his best days were with the Nordiques and like, likewise, um, there's another one here. Like, um, you know, there's a few examples of that. Like there's Marcel Dion with the Rangers, not, not with the Kings. Right. Um, and then there's a couple of Colorado Rockies in here, which is really weird. There's Glenn Rush and Barry Beck. And it's kind of weird to see the Colorado Rockies, uh, uniform in a, a modern day set. I think that's I mean, cool. Oh, it is cool. It is cool. Um, and then, you know, another thing that's uh, interesting is, from what I heard, I heard that Guy Lapointe will not sign this card. He will not sign his card. From I don't set? know From this set, yeah. And I, I, when I used to be more into, like, TTM autograph collecting, and I'd read up on things, and people would talk about how, you know, Lapointe would sign all of the cards except that one and he'd send it back unsigned. And then they would say, oh, I met him in person and he wouldn't sign it. And I don't know why, but it was that particular card he refuses to sign. Um, it might have to do with some sort of maybe he thought. I, I don't know. I, I don't I, I don't know. Like sometimes like I know like players sometimes won't sign things if they're told not to sign things like. For instance, they'll say, hey, you're going to sign 100 of this card, but then don't sign this card for people because we only want people to get this particular card signed um, in a pack, if that makes sense. Well, he's not. Um, well, never mind. I, I don't know what I was going to say. Or he, another... has, he has a card in the autograph checklist. Well, I mean, and that could be the other thing, too, is it's that... It's a different I, photo. Is he still with the Canadians? Um, well, that doesn't matter. I mean... In the photo, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what I was going to say is another time... Sometimes players don't sign things when uh, they feel like they were slighted by the company. So I'll give you, like, a for instance. Um, so that's what I was wondering, if that's what it was more like. I think that's what it could have been, because that's what I heard. But then again, I'm trying to remember something from 12 or 14 years ago. Um, but let me give like another example. Do you remember the slap shot action figures that McFarland toys made in the late nineties of the uh, Hanson brothers of the Hanson brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Hanson brothers, the three guys who played them will not sign those figures. 
They will not sign the packaging. They will not sign the bases because they, I guess, they either did not get any money for it because it was something that McFarlane worked out with Universal and didn't need their permission for, or whatever they were supposed to get, they didn't get. But they will not sign those toys. Hmm. Yeah, makes sense, I guess. But there have just been cases of like, you know, where people feel like they should have been paid money and they weren't, so then they don't want anything to do with that product, and then they they won't uh, they won't autograph it or whatever. And you know, another one I know that like Wayne Gretzky will not sign his eighty eight eighty nine tops card because from what I heard, he signed one copy of the card and he gave it to his son Ty as a gift. Like he signed it. And it was, he was going to give it to his son when he got older, right? That was the whole thing. Like that, that was the only copy of that card he would sign would be for his, his son. That makes sense. I, I guess. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a storyline behind it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I love the, like if I had to pick a, you know, if they said, Hey, Wayne Gretzky will sign one thing for you or one card. I'd probably go with the rookie card. But if he said two cards. Then I'd go with the rookie card and the 88-89 tops card if it was possible because I just love that card of him holding up the jersey. It's just one of my favorite hockey cards. Not to not to tangent again, but you'd actually have him sign a rookie card? Why not? I know he signed it. Yeah. That's all that matters to me, right? I guess. I don't know. Something like that. So, uh, uh, an iconic card. Okay. How about this? I'd have him sign the counterfeit Wayne Gretzky card that I purchased in 1992 for $300. Whoa. So now think about this. It would be a genuine Gretzky autograph on a counterfeit Gretzky rookie card. That would just make PSA's head explode. They'd be like, uh, 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 does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. And like... Right, like they wouldn't know what to do with it because they'd be like, "Well, the the sure they would. They'd send it to their trimmer and then grade it anyway." (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Well, yeah. I mean, the card is like a fraction of an inch. It's bigger than Opeachy. It's like a slightly bigger, and I never noticed that until it was too late. See, I I think an iconic iconic card. Like I would, I'd love to get. a Lemieux jersey or a Lemieux autograph on something in person. Like I have some of his autographs, but I never got one in person. I'd love to get him to sign a card, but I would never give him a rookie card just because I'm like, I don't know. Something, something about that. I feel like it maybe takes away from that. Like it's gotta be pure. Here's a rookie card. It's pure. I don't know. Yeah, no, It's some weird thing in my head. You know, it's fun. No, 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 no. You, you have, a, you've made a great point. And actually, uh, so those of you who listen to this podcast, you might be aware that lately I've been a recurring guest on a sports byline show called Titillating Sports with Rick Till. And one of the questions that Rick asked me, he said, so if a player signs a card, is the card worth more or is it worth less? And I said, it depends on who's looking at it. Because to some people, they'd say, wow, I love that card and I love that player and it's autographed and it's worth more to me. And to others, they'll say, no, no, that's a rookie card that should never have been autographed, that should have never been signed. Yeah, I mean, you run into the thing now, especially in the world we live in, with how people are with memorabilia and everything. If you don't have any kind of authentication on it, 
your word's not good enough. And yeah. You say that, hey, I went and got this signed and I was there and I witnessed it. And you could probably even have a picture of you standing next to him, pointing at him, signing it. And people still wouldn't, people still wouldn't trust your testimony to that as they will pulling a card that's already signed out of a pack of cards that has a stamp on the back that says, you've received a certified autograph signed in person by a representative witnessed by a representative of our company. They'll believe that, but they won't necessarily believe it in person, which so many times you can go on into shows or to card shops or to, you know, online on eBay and everything and look at hand signed in person Mm -hmm. autographs versus their similar certified ones coming out of product. And you will see a night and day difference in price. Night and day. Well, yeah, because there's the uh, there's the confidence of buying a certified sure. autograph versus uh, an in-person autograph. Sure. And if you're talking about things that you're going to keep for your own collection, do what you want. I mean, that's that's your thing. And it, it's your for it's for your own collection. You were there. You saw it. You witnessed it. You have the story now to tell when somebody says, oh, cool. Where'd you get the, you know, whatever Jack Delphi auto. Like I have a eight by 10 Jack Delphi who played for the Steelers like long, 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 long time ago. In it, a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. yeah it's an eight by 10 that I picked up at a show. He was signing the eight by 10 cost me 10 bucks. The autograph cost me nothing. So, but I was there and I got it signed and there it is. Wait, he was signing free autographs. Yeah, it didn't cost anything. I, I had to buy the picture because I had nothing of his. Ten bucks think... though for a photo—that's yeah, that's that's above market price, man. Like five is like standard. Well, at the time, I I was desperate. I was willing to pay it because I wanted his autograph. Because I'm like, here's a guy that nobody really talks about, and I can get here's a picture of him. He doesn't have cards, really. Right. So, that's the thing, and I. Do obviously didn't have them with him. I didn't even know he was going to be where he was. So, but you know, and I have personalized ones too. Like I remember as a kid, I went to a show and Jimmy Pack was there from the Pens, and Paul Stanton was there. Oh, nice! And, but uh, the same show at a different time. Bob Friend, old Pirates pitcher, mm-hmm. was there. I, I got all of their autographs on eight by tens, and they personalized them. So they say to Tim, and they sign their name, or they say best wishes, and mm-hmm. they sign their name. Or, you know, I have those too. I'm not going to sell them. My kids will probably sell them because they don't want that crap. But, you know, I have them hanging on a wall. And people are like, who the heck's this guy? I'm like, oh, I remember blah, blah, blah. And I'll tell them a story. And And that's that's the fun part about the memorabilia is is the story that's behind it. Right. And that's that's the thing. So, you know, something like this, you were you were saying earlier that you have uh, Michelle Goulet signed out of the set. But you don't mm-hmm. have the signed card from the set. You have the regular card that you had him sign. Right? Yeah, and I think I got Larmer's card signed too because yeah, I so, see those guys would be at the Blackhawk convention every sure, year. Sure, sure. So, you know, the value of that to you is it is what it is. The value of that to somebody else versus maybe that same card as the certified autograph in the set, and it could look identical, but. The difference is your card has the player stats on the back and the certified one on the back has, you know, the, uh, 
what do you call it the the typical um congratulations language, you've received yeah. a card from so and so and signed by whoever was in charge of Fleer at the time Lloyd Christmas or something I don't remember what his name was um but uh that was a dumb and dumber reference in case anybody was wondering. What was but the line the, that, that flew over my head? I, I said it was signed by whoever was in charge of Fleer at the time. I think it was Lloyd Christmas. Oh, Lloyd Christmas. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, Stand back. I know VCR. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, going back to the set, not to fly off everywhere, but, uh, no, but I, I think know, this set was awesome. You mentioned Dumb and Dumber, so we have to acknowledge that Cam oh, Neely geez. was in Dumb and Dumber. Yes, so there you go. There's the hockey connection. But I'm going to just tell you right now. Kick his ass, Seabass, yes. But I'm going to say don't watch the deleted scenes with Seabass because they make Seabass a very even more disturbing character than he already is. Well, it's Cam Neely. He's already disturbing as it is. Yeah, but I mean, it 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 was funny, but... When you watch that extended scene of when he's about to beat beat him up in the in the bathroom, when you know there's a little bit more of the dialogue before he grabs him, and I'm just like, oh, this really got dark. Like, yeah, yeah, but at that time, you know, it no, wasn't... it was just, it was just, yeah, like, well, whatever. Well, you know, but I had to know, you know, I like this stuff. I mean, I love. I love, I got one of these days we're going to just have to do like a rundown of hockey player cameos and like movies and stuff. That'll give me an excuse to watch Con Air just to see Marty McSorley in it for like five seconds or five minutes or whatever. There you go. I mean, do you even count Rob Blake in the love guru? I mean, because he's playing a hockey player. He's playing Rob Blake. He's not even playing a hockey player. He's playing himself. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I'm talking more about like guys who appear in movies but they're not playing themselves or they're not even playing a hockey player like bob probert's also in the love guru but he doesn't play bob probert he just plays a king's player i guess that'd be a different category maybe yeah yeah that's what i mean so um you know um about this Fleer set uh, one other thing i want to say though is uh besides the odd photo selections there's two that stand out to me that are pretty cool two or three that are pretty cool one is uh mike bossy holding a flaming hockey stick and i know that was the cover on the hockey news like many 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 years ago like in the early 80s yeah that's a cool card um and then there's another one of rick middleton holding a stick almost like a rifle like he's pointing it at you at first i was just like why is he shrugging he looks weird and then i look at it again and go oh he's pointing like it's a gun that's kind of cool I like the Gump card too, where it looks like he's playing air guitar. But if you look close enough, he's making a stick save. Yeah, I don't like it. And he Gump. also looks like he's really, really old. I love Gump Worsley. Yeah. He is like the one player I wish I could have met. He is the one player I wish I could have written a fan letter to. In fact, I remember I was about to write a fan letter and I was trying to find his address and I found out that he had died like two days before. This was back in like early 2007. And I'm like, Oh, man. Because, like, 2000, fall of 06, I started a TTM blog that I ran for till like, 2014. And I wanted, I was writing to all those Hall of Fame guys. Like, that was that, just going through all, like, I had that 1983 Hockey Hall of Fame 
set that had like the painted cards. And so I was writing to Gordy Howe and Ted Lindsay and Bill Gadsby and Glenn Hall and, and anybody who had a card in that set that was still alive. I was just writing to Milt Schmidt. Like I was just, and I should have written to Worsley first because he's the one that I wanted the most because I've read his biography, his autobiography 10 times over. I have two copies of the book. It's out of print. And um, I mean, I bought a copy. I had to track it down because it was out of print. And then I found another copy that was autographed. And I bought that one too, because I'm just like, well, he's not signing books anymore because he's in the hockey rink in the sky. I don't like this gump card because it shows the top of his head and he's going bald. And I don't like it. It looks like he's like super old in it, but yet he's still playing hockey. Well, I love the pictures of him with the North Stars because he kind of grew his hair out and he has the sideburns and he yeah. looks like a cool dude in his 40s, like the guy in his 40s that like is cool. Well, I'm, I'm that guy, that cool guy in his 40s that you want to hang out with because he's cool, right? Not like, oh, look at that old man, right? Like, so, uh, but this card, yeah, and the black and white just makes it even more terrible. Um, see, I like it. I think he's playing air guitar in the, when I see that picture. So... What's my problem with this Mario Lemieux card then? What's your problem with it? Yeah. You didn't give it to me? That's your problem. You have this card. You don't need another one. I have more than one of them. I'll tell you that. So when did Mario wear the canary yellow Sunday sweater? When? Yes. Um, which Which is the picture on that again? Well, okay. So sorry. Maybe that's a trick question. The Penguins... I was going to say, what color is his helmet? Is it white or yellow? So that's old. They stopped wearing that jersey after 83-84, but they wore it for the 84 preseason. So pictures of Mario Lemieux in a yellow Penguins jersey are from the 84 preseason. So what makes this card odd to me is like, Yeah, it's colorful because he's in a yellow Penguins jersey and the yellow helmet and the yellow socks. But they only, but he only really wore that for like maybe a game. Because we're just talking about preseason of 84. And then his actual rookie season, he would wear either the yellow, excuse me, the white or the black jersey, but not a yellow jersey. So it's just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's wearing a yellow jersey, but it's from the preseason. It's not iconic. I think it'd be more iconic in, you know, a 91-92 jersey. Did they ever, and see, I don't know the answer to this, which I probably should, but did they ever pull those back out as like a practice jersey or a warm-up jersey ever? No, but then is that they, only a more recent thing that they More recent doing? thing, yeah. No, those were the Sunday sweaters, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I only ask the helmet color because I know those change too. Well, they used yeah. to wear yellow helmets in the, yeah. in the 80s, didn't they? They did in the earlier days. That's why I said when you when you said it was a yellow jersey, I'm like, uh, it's got to be old. Yeah, because I think Lemieux's 88-89 Topps card, he has a yellow helmet, doesn't he? One uh, where he's leaned over. He's kind of leaned over and looking over his shoulder. Maybe. I can't picture it in my head, but I'd, oh. have, to, I'd have to think. Or just go and find it. Uh, yeah, that's true, too. Um, okay, I'll give you that. All right, so uh, anything else we want to say about this Fleer 
crates of the game set. For well, me. if you're looking for the set, again, it's only, I mean, if you're going to try to build it from card by card, you're looking at 89 cards. Unless you want the checklist, then there's 90 cards. But well, how hard but, was the checklist to get? You bought a box. I did. I bought a box. The, so there you were got 100 cards in a box, right? Or oh, 24. So 20, 40, So you got about 120 cards. Yeah. And so what was your box break like? So in the box, I got two autographs. Um, and those autographs were Richard Brodeur and Jean Rattel. And they were cool. And I still have them, I believe. Yes, I still have them. Um, I got a game, I guess, would it be called game used? Yeah, because it was game used. Game used dasher board piece. There's, so there's a set in here uh, as one of the inserts. And it's called Board Certified. Uh, these were inserted. You could get pretty much one. I think they came one in a box or almost one in a box. Um, and basically it featured a player on it and it had a piece of the dasher board inside the card. Hmm. I always thought that was cool because, you know, how many Jersey cards can you get? And even some stick cards. And when you get like pants or socks or something, you're like, oh, that's cool. That's different. This is the only set I think I ever seen with dasher board pieces in it. And so I always thought that was cool, but it's called board certified, kind of a dumb name. But it's got dasher board pieces in it. And there's only, uh, I want to say, five or six cards in there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I actually pulled the little Mew. So that was kind of cool. Um, and there's another insert set in there that's called Retrospection. And it features a different player photo that's almost full bleed except for the white border around the edge, but they put foil on the card. So that all the cards have foil borders. And oh, nice. So they're different colors. There's yellow, there's red, there's blue. It just depends on the player. It tries to match their jerseys, but I believe there's 13 of those cards. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I pulled three, maybe four out of that box. I know I had a Gila Floor came out of there. Uh, uh, Brian Trottier came out of there. Um, I want to say I got a Henry Richard and a Peter Stastny, I think, was the other one. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's a different photo. It had some foil on it. So that was another insert that was included in there. And there's also, you can pull jerseys and actual stick memorabilia piece cards. I think I, I I got one or the other. It was either a stick or a jersey. But I can't remember if it was... Um, I want to say it was a Maple Leaf. I think it was Daryl Sittler. Hmm. I think it might be a stick piece. You so, know, But that was, that was what's in the box. And I got a full base set plus some doubles. Nice. So, so you did get a full base set from a box. Yeah. I think there might have been two checklists in there. So, okay, so but I think the really cool thing about this, though, is the fact that you know you're looking at a, a set of basically 89 cards, and of those 89 cards, you run through the the actual checklist and look at all of the names of the players that are on there mm -hmm. that you can 
get in this set. I mean, you're you're, you're talking what sixty Hall of Famers, maybe? Oh yeah, and then I was gonna say easily that, out of the have, ninety, there's sixty Hall of Famers. But on top of that, like even the players who are not Hall of Famers are like extremely popular players, like yeah. um, especially in their market. So like Wendell Clark, huge, huge following in Toronto, you know, even though he's not a Hall of Famer, sure. right? Or like I'd argue that Rick Kehoe, even though he might not mean much to anybody outside of Pittsburgh, I mean, he was like the guy for Pittsburgh until Lemieux came along. I mean, he was like their best, the best player they had pretty much, wasn't he? I mean, Rick Kehoe was... <sighs> I mean, he's a pivotal. He's like the he was like the ultimate penguin, right? In fact, doesn't even say that on the back of his card. He probably says that the ultimate penguin. Uh, yeah, the ultimate penguin. That's yeah. how the card See? starts. Yeah. It calls him, and then you got like Mike Liute, Butch Goring, um, Kent Nilsson, and Ulf Nilsson, and Ulf was the one that played with Bobby Hall. Uh, in in Winnipeg, and then you have like I mean, of course, yeah. I mean, if I read some of these names, they're Hall of Famers. Terry, uh, not Terry O'Reilly, but again, immensely popular player. Um, Joey Mullen, Johnny Busick, Brad Park, Red Kelly, uh, Bjorn Salming, Ted Lindsay, all in the Hall of Fame. Mike Gartner, I believe he's in the Hall. Is he not? Gartner is yes. You know, and then I mean, then you got like some really good players here, like Brian Sutter, Neil Broughton, um. Uh, I'm just looking for the non-Hall of Famers here. Dave Taylor, um, and Grant Fear and Cam Neely and Jerry Cheevers and Frank Mahavlich and Bernie Federko, Clark Gillies, they're all in the Hall of Fame. Um, right. I mean, Lanny, okay, so Brian Bellows isn't in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, he was a good Canadians player. He was a good good player. John O'Rodnick, another one who not a Hall of Famer, but you know was a very great player in the '80s. And Richard Brodeur, not only a great player in the '70s prior to his NHL career, but a great player in the '80s and immensely popular in Vancouver to this day. So I mean, you know, there are a lot of guys. I mean, Paul Henderson, Tiger Williams, not Hall of Famers, but immensely popular players. Dale Hunter, not a Hall of Famer, and you either love him or you really hate him, but, you know, that kind of guy. So, I mean, you look, I hate to say all killer, no filler, because that's such a cliche, but, I mean, I I can look at the set and go, okay, this guy's in the Hall of Fame, this guy's in the Hall of Fame, this guy's in the Hall of Fame. This guy's not in the Hall of Fame, but he has almost a cult-like following, you know, like a Wendell Clark or like... um, well, the names that are on there are are the bigger name players for the times that they played in. And if you didn't know any better, you could probably go down this list and be like, all these guys are in the Hall of Fame. Right. Well, you Steve know? Larmer's not in the Hall of Fame, but he was a very good player for the Blackhawks. And he yeah, has second longest contact, uh, Ironman streak for consecutive games played. So Sure. And that's what I'm saying, you know. If you you know who's in the Hall of Fame, you're going to be like, oh well, this guy's not and this guy's not. But you know, somebody that that doesn't quite know the history behind, they'd look at these names and be like, this must all be Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. And, yeah, I mean, they're 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 some of the best players to ever play the game. So yeah, hence the name Greats of the Game. Right, right. So well, it's a it's an awesome set. I mean. 
you know, to pick up the set, I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't cost anybody a lot of money to pick up the set complete. Um, boxes at the time, I, I believe I don't pay, I didn't pay more than 60 or 70 bucks for this box, but mm-hmm. I know with the way prices and everything are now, it's probably, uh, it, it's, it's probably at least a hundo, if not more, if you can find them. Um, yeah, but that'd be a fun break because not only if you, you can get two autographs per box and yeah. there's some really good players in here. Uh, but then you could also get a full base set and get some inserts. So, I mean, it sounds like something, I mean, I would have enjoyed this back in the day. If I was collecting hockey back then, like if I was buying new cards back that year, uh, yeah, that was my first year out of college. So I was still just kind of like adapting to like having to pay rent and bills. I mean, I was paying rent and bills before I graduated college, but that was kind of like, I wasn't like, oh, hockey cards, I should collect these again. I was just kind of like, you know, finding my way through things and, and actually, at that time, I was a huge Transformers fan, like a huge Transformers collector. Like, why didn't I buy hockey cards from 97 to 2005? Because I was a toy collector then. I was like a, a diehard, passionate toy collector. And that's where all my my disposable income was going, was to you know, tracking down rare Japanese Transformers and rare G.I. Joe figures and rare Star Wars toys. I mean, it's just, you know, where I was at the time. But, you know, I came back to hockey and I love it. You know, (laughs) I came back to collecting hockey cards like almost 15 years ago and I'm still, still loving it, you know? Yeah. It's, It's interesting. The points in your life that you go through and different things have a priority and change as you go through. Well, I think what's nice for most of us, though, is that, like, if your parents kept your collection for you and then you got to come back to it years later, I think that's nice when I hear people tell that story. I like to hear that story more than, oh, my parents throw away all my football cards. (laughs) Then I go, oh, that's sad. And then it's like, well, now I'm trying to track them all down again, and that's fun. So, okay, but, you know, it's always nicer when they go, yeah, went to my parents' house and found all my... 89 Donruss, and I know that these are worthless, but I love them, and that's the kind of stories that that I love to hear. I think yeah. we all do. Yeah. Well, if your mom threw out your 2001-02 Fleer grades of the game, then you're way younger than I am. So, alright then. I think uh, I think we said all we could say. So, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and tell people about this show and how great you think it is. If you would like to support this show, please consider buying a t-shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. If you have a question that you'd like to see answered, hey, maybe hit us up on Twitter. Tim is at TheRealDFG on Twitter. I'm at PuckJunk on Twitter. You can also leave a comment in the blog post. And yay, show number 69. In the books. In the books. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.